Okay, welcome back to the United podcast. And as usual, Larry, 3.30 a.m. on a Monday, United serve up a nil-all draw. How was your Monday? Mine's been better because I didn't. I wasn't stupid enough to make the 3.30 a.m. wake up. Couldn't you get up 3.30 a.m.? That's what you live for as a United fan in Sydney. Well, no, I, I live to sleep. So when I actually go to my job, I'm not half asleep in my desk so I don't get fired. But normally I would make the wake up. But man, it's United-Chelsea. It's always going to end in a nil-all draw. Well, we'll go through the results. There's those tables where you see United's record against the big six and they show all the results down in a column and it's just zero, 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 especially on the United end, which we'll get into. But, um, yeah, we are back at the pub. Um, probably the only way we could do this podcast because there's a lot to get through and we do need a little bit of a drink while doing it. So hopefully everyone is back enjoying sort of the pub ambience. Um, just be aware and be kind with us. There's a few buses going past. I think we're in the middle of peak hour and it looks like there's a hen's party, maybe a few tables across. So you hear a pack of hyenas. Um, don't mind them. They're just excited that Larry's back at the pub. First of all, starting 11. Um, the word, well, whether this is a shock, I'm not quite sure, but um, Mason Greenwood start. Do you call Anthony Marshall has been dropped? Or was it that Mason Greenwood just picked over him for a tactical reason? Oh, you'd have to say it's Martial dropped. Uh, considering he was available, I think this is the first big game and where he has been left out. And I think why you can definitely say it was a dropping, Cavani wasn't fit. We've had that debate in the past where Cavani's been fit, so, you know, his first name on the team sheet, and then you're saying, okay, maybe he'll bring Martial off the bench or move Martial to the left. This was a clear demotion for me of the Frenchman, and rightfully so. Well, just, actually, we'll get into three, two, ones. Mason Greenwood again, a performance again, no goal. So a stri- your number nine needs a goal. I thought his performance was good. He, he sort of looked like again. We'll always look at a Mason Greenwood striking performance and think, well, he needs to fill out. He needs to be a bit more physical, and, and that will come. But I thought he dealt with it quite well because Chelsea have a very experienced back four. They do, and he looked our most threatening player. Um, was it in the first half? You just you saw his quality. I know he didn't score the goal. But there was an opportunity where he almost had a shot, gave it off to... I can't remember who it was. He got it back. He, he, he gets it back, that's up. right. He, he hit it as sweet as... He hit it absolutely perfectly, yeah. just off target. It, it, it was, but the it was keeper's not saving that if it's on target. Like, it was powerful and it was very accurate. Well, the other midfield... or not the other midfield, but the other team selection was in midfield, which caused a little bit of controversy. Now, it shouldn't cause controversy because we see it in every sort of so-called big game. But the midfield of McTominay and Fred... Again, no one can be surprised because Solskjaer trusts it. It has worked before. Well, you can define work, but Solskjaer obviously trusts it. And um, it's almost his only option there, really, because he wasn't going to throw Van der Beek in there. Paul Pogba was injured, and Emmanuel Matic is almost on the out, he would say. So the surprise was McTominay maybe sort of showing his fitness. He was out injured, but he's come back. And maybe not so much the selection of those two players, because we knew that was going to happen the approach. A lot of people have criticised it in hindsight when you see those nil-all draws and especially this nil-all draw you think oh, it's frustrating maybe we could have gone on to win it but that selection of McTominay and Fred limits our creativity and it's there's been a lot of debate regarding Solskjaer and it was his fault we didn't go for it. He was a cowardly, he was gutless he didn't go for it because of that selection in midfield. Your thoughts? Uh, I understand the criticism and I do think our midfield is a major reason why we've been unable to break down the top six. But that, that's a deeper issue and I'm keen to see what you think. My personal opinion is, and we touched on this um, in, in the last podcast, United seemed to me to have changed their approach. We were a very counter-attacking side last season and we saw a lot of positive results from that against the top six, whereas against the lesser sides, to call them that, 
we weren't seeing those consistency in the results. Whereas United have almost gone, let's wait for that bus to pass. United have almost flipped the switch this season. We're getting results against the lesser sides. It's the top six we're struggling against. And I think that that's because we're playing on the front foot this season. Now, the issue with that is when you have McTominay and Fred, because they were so effective in that counter-attacking system, I think that's why we saw the fruits of that. When you're trying to play on the front foot against your likes of Chelsea's like we saw today, he's playing them in almost a double pivot for me. Now, they are playing higher up the pitch. Lindelof and Maguire were past the halfway line. So you have to say from that perspective, in terms of where United are playing, it's positive from Solskjaer. The criticism then comes to say, but you are not allowing those two midfielders or giving at least one of them the license to run forward. Now, the, the issue is, and we've touched on it, this is the next evolution for this United side. It's getting that player who can be both a ball winner, but can also progress the ball forward. Unfortunately, in the McFred case, they both have those limitations going forward. You say that, but Sol, let's pretend Solskjaer throws the exact same tactical approach, the exact same formation into that game. However, you swap Fred or swap McTominay for Paul Pogba, who has the ability to get forward, to break up play and do all those things you say. Exactly the same approach, but just a better footballer in there. And suddenly we are creating chances and we're going to win the game. Okay, Now, obviously, we have lost games and drawn games with Paul Pogba in there. But I think, as you mentioned, it wasn't a park-the-bus sort of style system or approach from Ollie. Yes, we were a little bit deep into the... I think people think, well, if you lack creativity, you park the bus. But I don't think that's the case. I think we had four or five really good chances to score a goal. But if you have a better player in midfield, and it's not a, not a criticism of Fred and McTominay, but if you have Paul Pogba's ability in there, suddenly that midfield does look a lot more progressive. And it's exactly the same approach, just with a better football, it makes all the difference. No, you're right. And, and that, with a Paul Pogba in there, it allows for the player who has the capability of putting through a pass that can split the defence or seeing something that Fred and McTominay wouldn't normally see. But I still think in the evolution of this team, you want Paul Pogba playing in his best position. I still think with Paul Pogba playing today, he still sits in a two-man pivot. Yes, his ability to play a ball from deep is there. But if you want the best out of Paul Pogba, you want him on a three-man midfield. And I think if you could put that ball winner in that number six, and then you have ideally a Bruno and a Pogba both playing as eights, now that's a midfield worth really stepping back from and being like, wow, th- like that would put that would put fear into the opposition, no matter who you're against. In, in world football, I mean. Look, Solskjaer has got so much criticism for this one and all these sort of so-called bigger games, the big six or the top six, whatever you want to call them. But you look at it and you think, I can't blame Solskjaer because we don't have that quality of player. You can and understand. I agree with. He, he can't go for it because everyone was saying, oh, he should have been more progressive with his subs today. Put a substitution on and go for it. Well, is that person going to have the same argument if he goes for that sub and we lose the game 1-0? You're going to go, oh, look, it was a good substitution. I'm happy with that. No, you're going to say, no, he was tactically naive. He should have kept it nice and tight because we're playing against quality opposition. So I cannot blame... Look, I share everyone's frustration. Think, yes, I'd love to play like Manchester City or Barcelona and be on the front foot for 90 minutes. But when you think of that, think of where we've been for the last decade. We've been the 6th, 7th, 8th best team in England. We've got no right to go away to Chelsea and be the best team. We're all envy of Chelsea's transfer business. A couple of months ago, we were saying how great a window they had, how poor a window we had. And now all the fans are expecting to go to Chelsea, who they want the manager, and we're expecting to go there and play them off the park. We're in no position to do that. Solskjaer is being punished for his own success. He got he, he got us in the first position throughout Christmas, and because of that, 
fans are looking at him now and saying, well, no, that's where that's where we should aspire to be. Because we're second... It's a miracle, then. That's it. But now there's this expectation of we've been in second for a three-month period, so why aren't we pushing on and challenging or playing like Manchester City? The reality is we're not Manchester City. That's why they're 13 points clear. Well, the reaction to it, which is exactly echo your thoughts there, but... At the start of the season, people were saying it'll be a very good achievement to make the top four. I remember we were saying top four is the goal for this season. Now we're in second, and people are saying no, it's a failure. We're not winning the league. Hang on, it was a failure if we didn't make the top four. Top four was going to be a success. We're almost comfortably in there. I think we're in a very good position now to finish in the top four. How can that be a failure? Well, it's not. That's exactly it. But unfortunately, the, the fan base have this short-term memory, and, and it touches on what we mentioned last week. The expectations of the fans have changed and that's because you've got a younger fan base, the pressures that come with social media and you've also got large platforms which influence people's thought process, That which is a whole separate issue but it, it, it plays into the psyche of a lot of football fans nowadays to not realise this is a process and in the evolution of this football team, the manager's doing a great job but we're just not there yet. Well, you speak about the reaction there and sort of a younger fan and a younger generation's feeling. I still remember going to Stamford Bridge with the treble winning side, European champions, 99 treble winners, who went away to Stamford Bridge the year after and lost 5-0. So I think a nil-all draw away at Chelsea that keeps us second in the spot and Chelsea don't, second in the table, sorry, and Chelsea don't make ground on us. Not the end of the world. We'll live to fight another day. I agree. And the other thing is, again, there are two sides in a game of football. Do you remember Chelsea dominating United? I don't. They had a few chances, but I say United had the better of the chances. Well, that's the thing. Solskjaer gets zero points apparently today, gets no points. Did Tuchel get all three? Well, a very valid point, but if you look at social media, you'd swear Oli lost 5-0 today. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to, and again, there's not really much to discuss about the game, except one little handball incident inside the box from Callum hudson Adoy. My first reaction when I was first watching was, okay, that's a handball by Mason Greenwood. Oh, lucky we got away with that one. Play continues. But and it was a Mason handball. My, my first reaction was, that's it. He's come off Greenwood's shoulder. He's sort of angled for the ball and definite handball. Then it goes to VR and think, oh. Then my first reaction when I saw the handball by um, Callum Hudson-Odoi was, oh, that would be harsh. But the more you see it, the more you see it, you think, well, they're given these days. Now, that's not the issue for me. The issue is what we're going to discuss now, the comments, that the referee agreed that it was a penalty and chose not to give it because he knew what the reaction would be. Unbelievable. Yeah, um, was it Manchester United's PR team who's actually basically accused Luke Shaw of falsifying or providing the wrong information to the media? Luke Shaw has come out, and look, I don't have the quotes in front of me, but he said he told Harry Maguire that I think it's a penalty. However, a lot of people are going to talk about it if I give it. So it was in agreement to saying Harry Maguire was told it was a penalty, but it's not going to be given because of the controversy it's going to make. Now... You just look at that, and that is unbelievable. If the referee agrees that it is a penalty and has chosen not to because he is fearful of the reaction, I don't know. They're, they're, I don't want to make it sound over the top, but an investigation needs to be launched into it. No, it does. Um, and look, but the bigger concern for me is the politics that have now come on the back of this. We've had United come out. This was tweeted from Simon Stone. Um, Manchester United's PR team have actually gone to Which almost Luke re- retract Luke Shaw's statement. Yeah. Well, that's, to say that, that's, that's the FA going straight into it. Uh, the FA going in and saying, hey, the, it down. The most integral thing in not just football, but all professional sport is the integrity. If you cannot maintain the integrity of the sport, now that could be match fixing, that could be refereeing decisions. But for a referee, now if it's been found that he has made these comments... Surely he, he has to be stood down. 
Well, you say that, and look, 100%. But we look at it now, and only the day before, Lewis stung for Brighton. Did you see that incident? No, I didn't, actually. Unbelievable. It throws a whole different caveat to this story. Because he had a free kick on the edge of the box for Brighton against West Brom. He asked the referee, can he take it quick? The referee said yes. The referee blew the whistle. Lewis Dunk plays it into the goal. Lee Mason then blows the whistle again just before it's crossed the line to say, no, it was taken too quick. That's outrageous. Then disallows the goal. After he's blown the whistle to allow Lewis Dunk to take it. Unbelievable. The goal is then disallowed. And then Lewis Dunk has then come out post-match and explained the situation, told the, go- told the press officer that, yes, this is what the referee told me, this is what happened. Have Brighton had to come out and apologise for those comments? But this is the Manchester United PR machine, and I'm very critical of Manchester United for doing this. But if these referees... Now, look, it's not about ruining livelihoods here, but the referees have to be held accountable the same way we hold players accountable, the way we hold our managers accountable. If these referees are making these sorts of statements, and this is impacting the results of football matches now, it's not one of those 50-50 discretion calls. If you're making calls uh, or making a decision that is going to influence the end result of a football match... Because nine times out of ten, Bruno Fernandes is scoring that penalty. It's a different commentary around this football match. It changes this podcast. So you have to say the referees need to be held accountable. They, they need to be dropped. They need to be given back to training and put in lower grades to prove themselves and boost their confidence. Because if at the end of the day, referees are held to the same account as players. You're given the ultimate platform, but you're expected to perform. When you say that accountability, Lewis Dunk in at the end of that interview said I have to come out and explain what happened why isn't the referee he gets to go hide away he doesn't have to explain oh, it look, I don't, I know, I don't agree debate. with that it's yeah. a bigger debate but yeah these referees are protected like, and okay there is a I understand the need for them to be protected the game doesn't work without the referees but the game doesn't work with stupid decisions no it doesn't and look I don't have an issue with a referee making the wrong decision um, particularly if they're not utilising VAR because and for me, VAR has actually created more issues than it's actually created positive results. Because as football fans in the past, if you saw you score, your team scored an offside goal, you got annoyed, but you moved on. And, and I think what the Premier League did well was they didn't actually show replays at the football match. If you actually bring it closer to home, if you look at the rugby league and the way that they analyse video refereeing decisions to the inch deg- to the nth degree. It kills the game, and I think football fans would almost be more open to an acceptance to say, get the decision wrong if you're going off lifetime, or make a call and we move on. And I think VAR has created this grey, and it's also created it for referees to say, ah, oh, look, and we're seeing it in these two cases. VAR is available, and they're still not confident enough to make a black and white decision. So what's the point? Yeah, no, I'm with you fully. So, um, Look, I'm sure we'll be having a VAR debate next week. Wednesday next time, Palace against Thursday. I'm sure there'll be an incident. Sorry, but while we've discussed all this, can we both agree that was definitely a penalty? Well, the more I look at it now, I think... At the time, I was, oh, 50-50, but I've seen it... His hands... It's been progressed. Not only that, it's affected Mason Greenwood's next touch. If he doesn't hit it with his hand, Mason Greenwood has a different outcome of where the ball's going to go. Now, Mason Greenwood's not going to get the ball and turn and score. No. But it affects the play. It's a handball. Um, yeah, uh, hard one. It'll be interesting to see what eventuates from the Luke Shaw comments and Harry Maguire's comments, but um, more to come on that definitely now. That is pretty much the only thing that happened. In- oh, just on that, just uh, the last thing on VAR. Um, Solskjaer was obviously asked about it and said pretty much backed up Luke Shaw's comments. Yeah. But he also referenced Chelsea's website, saying that they were influencing 
um, the match officials. Did you see that? Did you see Solskjaer's comments? Not about Chelsea. He, he was saying there was. He wasn't quite clear, but he's saying something on the website. They were talking about Harry Maguire, and everyone's. Well, what's he talking? Even the commentator Jeff Shreves was. I don't know what you're talking about. But I've got it here. What Chelsea actually published on their website before the match. It was a, must have been like a match preview type articles type of thing. And it's on ChelseaFC.com with a photo of Harry Maguire having Azpilicueta in a headlock from the first pre, the first match this season, saying the Man United skipper's actions will also be under scrutiny again on Sunday after his penalty area tangle with Jamal Lascelles last weekend. In recent Chelsea meetings, the Red Devils centre-back has survived VAR reviews of a potential penalty foul on Cesar Azpilicueta and violent challenge on Michi, Michi Batshuayi that may well have affected the outcome. That is on the Chelsea website, com- directly saying Harry Maguire should have been sent off multiple times. And Solskjaer has come out and said, since Jurgen Klopp has been talking, since Frank Lampard has been talking, now the Chelsea officials are talking about United getting away with these decisions. We're not getting the decisions. Well, Solskjaer's playing the game now, and he has to, because the genius of Sir Alex Ferguson was he won not only on the football pitch, he won in the press conference. Now, Oli's a nice guy, but he has to actually get on the front foot now, because... Now, we all sit here and ridicule Jurgen Klopp for when those comments came out. But it's it's the exact same thing Sir Alex did. Now, that's the thing. So, Solskjaer, now this is part of his evolution as a manager. When you're a successful club and you get those decisions, we were the envy of English football. And the reason we were is because Sir Alex influenced the referees because he was proactive in his approach. He got ahead of it well, well in advance of the football match. We can't be critical of Jurgen Klopp, of Chelsea, the Chelsea team website, of these tactics. Because if it influences the referee, like you could argue it did today, they got a positive result out of that. So United just need to play fire with fire. Yeah, no, I think everyone should listen to what you just said there and see that point of view from Solskjaer and back him and accept it and be on that side and push that agenda. Don't criticise Solskjaer for speaking out. You do need a siege mentality. Even if Solskjaer goes too far and he's over the top and is kind of... He's not wrong here, but he does cross that line and becomes, I wouldn't say deluded, but becomes the wrong side of that opinion. Back him. You know what Manchester City are really good at? The amount of professional fouls that they commit in a football match is fantastic. It's actually part of Pep Guardiola's football philosophy, but he does that on purpose. He plays his team so high up the pitch that they are told if there is any chance of a counter-attack, you foul him. And they do it, and they do it really well. Do you ever hear of... And when we analyse Manchester City, does anyone talk about it? It's unheard of. Yeah, no, well, it it is one of those things, and you don't want to make... You sort of feel like the victims here, but United are suffering from a lot of things off the pitch like that, and um, it it does need to be addressed. Of course it does. It needs to be addressed for every team, but I just urge all United fans to to back the club and back Solskjaer in times like that, and look what we say on Twitter or Facebook what won't have an impact but it does it is a loud voice it needs to put pressure on the media to sort of change their tune but um, back onto the game and 3-2-1s I think maybe it sounds stupid but I've got an easy answer for three points please David De Gea match winning safe for me I have to agree with you I thought it was fantastic I, I, today I, I thought a lot of people were going to criticise him so I'm glad you agree with three points there for De Gea because if we win that match 1-0 we're probably looking at the goal scorer saying that's a match winning goal and I look at that, and De Gea was busy. No real, he had the one great save, obviously. Other than that, didn't have much to do. Sort of some hard shots were kind of straight at him. This is the difficulty when you're talking about the Henderson De Gea debate. For everything I said last week, I stand by it. I think Henderson is probably a stronger all round goalkeeper. But De Gea's shot stopping when he's on, there's nothing that can get past him. And we saw that today. 
yeah, no, definitely easy three points for me. And yeah, well, it's a match drawing save, but you know what I mean by match winning. Who I'm nominating for two points. I thought Luke Shaw was really good. And you know me, I'm critical of Luke Shaw, but I thought he was very positive in the final third. Defensively, I don't recall him even really being put under threat. I, I don't recall him making any indecision or wrong mistakes. Yeah, it would definitely be someone in the back four, I thought, because again, Chelsea have got some good attacking options. They're a good team away from home against a big six opposition. On that topic, um, where Chelsea did have some luck was down Wambasaka's side. Do you think there's an issue with his positional play? He's been at United for nearly two seasons. One-on-one, he's fantastic, but is there an argument to say his positional play is wrong, or are we only noticing the Wambasaka mistakes when he's with Lindelof? That, that's another thing worth looking into. Look, definitely it's a sort of cause for concern, and look, I don't have the answer to why his positioning is sort of sometimes brought into question. For me, and look, this does fall under the positioning umbrella. For me, it's not so much a positioning thing, it's his, it's his body position. He sort of gets turned the wrong way. Sometimes he's facing the wrong way, which then he has to turn, and he looks like he's out of position where he's in the right position. He just gets his feet muddled up. It's almost when he's attacking, he does not quite... You know, it's funny. Right um, I think Delo has the exact same weakness in his game, but I think with Wambasaka, he's got the recovery pace to compensate well, that, for that's that. the thing he gets out of it. Like today, a lot of people said Dan James was quite good, and I thought, well... Yes, he was quite good in terms of if you're watching what he's doing when the ball's near him. But he's having to do that extra work because of the mistake he was doing five seconds earlier and being out of position. So you look at the action where he's making the tackle, you think, oh, he's putting the effort in, that's great. Well, if he was in the first position in the first place, that part, that pass wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have had to make that run to make that tackle. And again, it's very easy here sitting on the other side of the world um, watching from the couch. But um, yeah, the thing with Juan Bissaka... At the moment, it's like it's like a striker's playing bad and scoring goals. You forgive him. When one is out of position, but he's able to come back and make the tackle, you gladly forgive him. So um, back on to two points. Luke Shaw, besides the three points for De Gea, I think it's a hard one. So I wouldn't argue two points for Luke Shaw. I thought he's good, solid seven out of ten. Yeah, one point's a trickier one, I think. Um, I thought Fred was energetic today. Um, you could make a case for Fred. I thought Mason Greenwood was our most dangerous player on the pitch. I don't understand him getting subbed. And that is something I am critical of Solskjaer of. I, I don't understand this obsession. I almost feel like he's got this rotation locked in his head. If Martial's on the bench, I have to bring him on at some point. And he, he always hooks Mason. I mean, if now, I don't know if you agree with this. And I know I'm, it ties into the one point, though. If Greenwood's our most dangerous player and he's our most lethal threat in that football match, don't you almost have to take Rashford out of that scenario and say, you know what, as much as I like Marcus... Greenwood's being the more effective this game. Maybe I should take the Englishman on if I, off if I'm going to put Martial on. Overall, yes, uh, completely agree. However, there is a part, and I remember when I was a young player, in those first two, three seasons of first grade football, there is a time, kind of 60th, 70th minute, you've been playing, you hit a wall. And it, it, it's very easy for us sitting here on the other side saying, do this, do that. The players get so tired. And I just feel there is a fit, not not a fitness issue in a bad way, like he's unfit. But I feel Mason Greenwood, I wouldn't say slows down, but Solskjaer and the coaching staff see something from a physical point of view. We have questioned his physicality in the past, where maybe they just see him lacking that little 5% extra. And that's where, yeah, it was a shame to see the like-for-like sub. I would have kept Mason Greenwood on. But I think there is a case where he maybe just needs that fitness. And it's not a fitness of get on the treadmill, just fitness with football and experience of playing the game. And um, it is frustrating, but it's not something I'd really slate the manager over. Because um, we see it so often, young players, um, they're either the sub coming on or they're the first one off. It happens around, around every single club do it. 
Yeah, that's fair. I just, I just think that it, he didn't look tired to me. He, he looked like he was playing really well, and yeah, I, no, I just, he played very well. And look, I, I'm not saying Mason Greenwood is Mbappe, but we see how much football Mbappe plays. We saw how much football Marcus Rashford played when he broke into the first team. I, so I don't understand that argument. You know, we've gone by that old, the old saying that you know, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So I think that that's the case there. In saying that, I think Mason's a well-deserved one pointer today. I thought he was really good. I wouldn't oppose one point for Greenwood, but again, clean sheet away at a big team. Lindelof Maguire, I thought, again, solid, both of them. Yeah, that's valid. It's um, frustrating at times when you're on the ball and you think, oh, do this, do that. But ultimately, their job is to keep a clean sheet. No, I take that point. And um, it was Maguire, was it, who got beaten on, it was in the first half. Someone's gotten beaten on the left-hand side. Maguire made a last-ditch effort. If he didn't get there, it was definitely a shot on time. Lindelof made a clearance from across came in. Timo Werner had a tap yeah, in. Yeah, he did a, too. But, but again, in terms of performance and what we want to see as Man United fans, Mason Greenwood I thought was very good and definitely the most dangerous of the attackers. So, um, oh, look, you know what? I think you've swayed me. I, I, I'd be tempted to give it to Maguire. Yeah. I think so. But, yeah. uh, I, I just look at a Maguire performance like that and I know there's questions about his captaincy and there's questions about our results against the big teams. But it's a clean sheet. That's his job against the big teams. Mate, I am telling you, I'm certain of this, you put a, a good leader next to him, he will be a world-class centre-back. He really would. That's a big shout. Could someone clip that and say Larry's just... Well, he is, though. Like, you see all the qualities he has, right? He makes last-ditch efforts really well. The only weakness, really, in his game for me is his lack of pace. So if you can put a good centre-back next to him who's capable of ball-playing as well, who's quick, it, it solves every frailty in his game. You know what? I'll go, I'll go this far. I know it's been limited football, but in all the games we've seen Maguire next to Bay, do you recall a game where we've said, oh, Maguire's been bad? He's excellent next to B. There's a reason for that. Since Maguire's come in, and I know there's sort of people can take screenshots and screen grabs of certain pictures and it makes Maguire look bad. And look, he has had poor games. Of course he has. He's had many poor games. Oh, yeah, he has. However, overall, take the the £80 million out of it. He's improved our defence. No, he has been a very good player for United. Of course he has. Look, he does have obvious limitations, but he's been very good for United. You know who he reminds me of? John Terry. Like... Take the personal factors aside. If we're just looking purely at the football pitch, Harry Maguire is very much, in my opinion, in that John Terry mould. Very good in the air, not the quickest. The physical, decent positional play. I know Duncan Castles plays this narrative to say Maguire's positional play is garbage. It's not. The reason he's making so many last-ditch efforts is because he reads the game really well. Yeah, no, definitely. So we'll go Maguire for one point, but we'll quickly go to the Facebook comments. Um, we've got Busiest George has gone three points for Lindelof, two for De Gea, one for Rashford. Dylan has gone three for De Gea, two for Dan James, one for Luke Shaw. Josh has gone, where it was his, I can't read out the full comment, but thought Fred and Shaw were decent today. Uh, Robert has gone three for David De Gea, two for Daniel James, and one for Marcus Rashford. Really thought Bruno wasn't at the races today. This is a hard one, yeah, Bruno. Again, it's one of those games where if the correct decision was made and we get a penalty, we're talking about Bruno Fernandes stepping up and scoring the match winner. Well, this comes back to that debate we are talking about. If you get that midfielder who can ball play in this match, even a Paul Pogba in this match, it allows Bruno a bit more space. Because if you're Chelsea, you know. You shut down Bruno, there's no creativity elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. But before we move on to the... We'll talk about Palace just to wrap up the podcast who we expect to play. The big six... We mentioned at the start of the podcast that we had such a good record against them last year, but sort of struggled maybe against the lesser teams where the roles are reversed this year. While it is frustrating, I can agree with everyone's frustrations that it needs to be better against the big six. 
is it a huge concern for you or is it something you think oh, it's one of those things the way I look at it I think yes it is a concern but I can fix that concern by signing better players it's not a I think as you say there's a bit of a progression now a tactical approach to those games I just think the missing piece is better footballers totally agree with that um, and you have to say we're, we're better points for games at this point this season than we were last everyone season everyone complaining about the lack of goals and look I get those if you single out these little go- these games specific games five six games okay we haven't scored well, over the season, we've scored more goals than Manchester City. We're the leading goal scorers, so I think this argument of not scoring goals needs to be sort of kept. I don't know there is a 9-0 victory in there as well, which sort of clouds things a little bit. But the progression is clear, especially in the big games. While the results might be more frustrating, the performances, I think, they're better. Well, I'll tell you what. We were linked to Jaden Sancho. If Jaden Sancho started on that right wing today and you had Ndidi... And then you had Paul Pogba fit with Bruno Fernandes. Do you think the result's different today? Well, it's 2 or 3 nil to United. There you go. Yeah. No, definitely. Now, just moving on then, Palace. Um, it's the first game of the season. We lost 3-1 to Palace at home. Seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, yeah I think United were undercooked. Um, oh, a couple of players had their first training session the Friday before the game. <laughs> Honestly, so in that case, I think United... And I think that'll be fresh in the players' minds. Um, and I... I do expect United to win this game. I don't think it'll be easy, but Palace have had a very patchy season. They've had their ups and downs. They're not in the top half of the league table. Well, is there going to be a surprise then? I'm sure in Solskjaer's next press conference, there'll be an injury update or sort of a player coming back. But I'm just looking at the fixtures now. We have Palace, which is on a Thursday morning. Now, the issue here is the next game after that's obviously the Manchester derby, which, look, you're not going to label it a title decider. However, if we happen to beat Palace and then get the unlikely win it away at Manchester City, we can start talking about title sort of talk there because it will obviously knock City back and progress us. So is he looking at that Manchester City game as this massive opportunity so he maybe rotates a little bit against Palace? I don't think he can. Well, City are 13 points clear. Palace almost more important than City then? Absolutely it is because you have to look at the next game ahead. The reality is we're, we're in second, but we're only one point ahead of Leicester City. So United, for them, it needs to be about securing top four. We, we can no longer, unfortunately, look ahead. Manchester City are 13 points ahead of us. We'd need a lot to go right our way to even talk about being a challenge for the rest of this season. And I just urge everyone there, you say they're 13 points clear and you can criticise us for all you want that we're 13 points behind, of course. Well, if we're 13 points behind, other teams are more than 13 points behind. Absolutely they are. So I think, yes, yes, it could be better for us. But cast your mind back to where we have been over the last decade, and this time last year, what were we? We're probably 30 or 40 points behind. How many points did we finish behind Liverpool last year? Oh, 27 odd? Yeah, I don't want to think. It was was close to 30 points. So, look, things might seem a little bit frustrating at the moment, but I urge everyone, just calm it down a little bit, and and things will be okay. Now, talking about things being okay, um, the United Pubcast has uh, made a little bit of history last night on our FIFA 21 Pro Clubs. It's taken us two years. But we have made Division 1. Yeah, we're flying. And I think it's all down to our number 9. Antonio? Oh, no, mate. I stepped in. Antonio it was went well missing. MIA. We're sitting there waiting for a solid 10 minutes. Larry Taylor, generous as always, offers to step up from his defensive midfield position. Plays striker. Scores a hat-trick in the game that gets us to Division 1. Yeah, so if anyone is on PlayStation, we're, we're all still on the PlayStation 4. We're all struggling financially. No one's got the PS5 yet. Actually, I think, one or two, I think Ian does. Actually, speaking of Ian, 
it was good in that we have a little pro clubs chat on sort of Facebook of all the players. We say, okay, what time are you going to be playing, etc. And there's a little bit of banter back and forth. And everyone's celebrating the Division 1 promotion. And everyone's all happy. And there's Ian and Vin, two of the podcast <laughs> members, um, fighting over two passes about three games ago. Yeah, Vin wasn't happy. He wasn't getting the ball. We won 5-2 to get us to Division 1. But, Ian, you've got to pass the ball to Vin more. Uh, so um, if anyone is good at FIFA, and that is a necessity, you do have to be good, um, please get in touch. And you can join us in Division 1 on FIFA 21 Pro Club. So until then, it's Palace on Thursday morning. Tough one, but... um. Will we be present at the pub on Thursday? What's your Thursday schedule? Yeah, mate. I'm, I'm ready to be here. Feel free. Um, as long as we don't leave any laptops or computers. We've got everything. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not leaving without my laptop today. Okay. Double check and we're all good. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast back at the pub. We will... Well, please make sure you're obviously subscribed on your podcast app and following on all social medias. And until then, um, enjoy Ollie's Zebra Reds against Palace because we'll, we're, we're in the Zebra Kid, of course. Yeah, mate. It's going to be, it'll be like we're in the jungle. United are going to run wild on Palace. Bit of retribution. Fingers crossed. I'll pray for Lee Hodgson. All right. Cheers. Cheers.